The Military Young Gentleman From Sketches of Young Gentlemen This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alison Valdes Charles Dickens' 200th Anniversary Collection, Volume 5 The Military Young Gentleman by Charles Dickens. We are rather at a loss to imagine how it has come to pass that military young gentlemen have obtained so much favour in the eyes of the young ladies of this kingdom. We cannot think so lightly of them as to suppose that the mere circumstance of a man's wearing a red coat ensures him a ready passport to their regard, and even if this were the case, there would be no satisfactory explanation of the circumstance, because, although the analogy may in some degree hold good in the case of male coachmen and guards still general postmen wear red coats and they are not to our knowledge better received than other men nor are firemen either who wear or used to wear not only red coats but very resplendent and massive badges besides much larger than epaulettes neither do the twopenny post-office boys if the result of our inquiries be correct find any peculiar favour in women's eyes although they wear very bright red jackets and have the additional advantage of constantly appearing in public on horseback which last circumstance may be naturally supposed to be greatly in their favour we have sometimes thought that this phenomenon may take its rise in the conventional behaviour of captains and colonels and other gentlemen in red coats on the stage where they are invariably represented as fine swaggering fellows talking of nothing but charming girls their king and country their honour and their debts and crowing over the inferior classes of the community whom they occasionally treat with a little gentlemanly swindling no less to the improvement and pleasure of the audience than to the satisfaction and approval of the choice spirits who consort with them but we will not devote these pages to our speculations upon the subject inasmuch as our business at the present moment is not so much with the young ladies who are bewitched by her majesty's livery as with the young gentlemen whose heads are turned by it for heads we had written brains but upon consideration we think the former the more appropriate word of the two these young gentlemen may be divided into two classes young gentlemen who are actually in the army and young gentlemen who having an intense and enthusiastic admiration for all things appertaining to a military life are compelled by adverse fortune or adverse relations to wear out their existence in some ignoble counting-house. We will take this latter description of military young gentlemen first. The whole heart and soul of the military young gentleman are concentrated in his favourite topic. There is nothing that he is so learned upon as uniforms. He will tell you, without faltering for an instant, what the habiliments of any one regiment are turned up with, what regiment wear stripes down the outside and inside of the leg, and how many buttons the tenth had on their coats. He knows to a fraction how many yards and odd inches of gold lace it takes to make an ensign in the guards, is deeply read in the comparative merits of different bands, and the apparelling of trumpeters, and is very luminous indeed in discounting upon crack regiments, and the crack gentlemen who compose them, of whose mightiness and grandeur he is never tired of telling. We were suggesting to a military young gentleman only the other day 
after he had related to us several dazzling instances of the profusion of half a dozen honourable ensigns, somebodies or nobodies in the article of kid gloves and polished boots that possibly cracked regiments would be an improvement upon crack as being a more expressive and appropriate designation when he suddenly interrupted us by pulling out his watch and observing that he must hurry off to the park in a cab or he would be too late to hear the band play not wishing to interfere with so important an engagement and being in fact already slightly overwhelmed by the anecdotes of the honourable ensigns aforementioned we made no attempt to detain the military young gentleman but parted company with ready good will some three or four hours afterwards we chanced to be walking down whitehall on the admiralty side of the way when as we drew near to one of the little stone places in which a couple of horse soldiers mount guard in the daytime we were attracted by the motionless appearance and eager gaze of a young gentleman who was devouring both man and horse with his eyes so eagerly that he seemed deaf and blind to all that was passing around him we were not much surprised at the discovery that it was our friend the military young gentleman but we were a little astonished when we returned from a walk to south lambeth to find him still there looking on with the same intensity as before as it was a very windy day we felt bound to awaken the young gentleman from his reverie when he inquired of us with great enthusiasm whether that was not a glorious spectacle and proceeded to give us a detailed account of the weight of every article of the spectacle's trappings from the man's gloves to the horse's shoes we have made it a practice since to take the horse guards in our daily walk and we find it is the custom of military young gentlemen to plant themselves opposite the sentries and contemplate them at leisure in periods varying from fifteen minutes to fifty and averaging twenty-five we were much struck a day or two since by the behaviour of a very promising young butcher who evincing an interest in the service which cannot be too strongly commanded or encouraged after a prolonged inspection of the sentry proceeded to handle his boots with great curiosity and as much composure and indifference as if the man were waxwork but the really military young gentleman is waiting all this time and at the very moment that an apology rises to our lips he emerges from the barrack gate he is quartered in the garrison town and takes the way towards the high street he wears his undress uniform which somewhat mars the glory of his outward man still how great how grand he is what a happy mixture of ease and ferocity in his gait and carriage and how lightly he carries that dreadful sword under his arm making no more ado about it than if it were a silk umbrella the lion is sleeping only think if an enemy were in sight how soon he'd whip it out of the scabbard and what a terrible fellow he would be but he walks on thinking of nothing less than blood and slaughter and now he comes in sight of three other military young gentlemen arm in arm who are bearing down towards him clanking their iron heels on the pavement and clashing their swords with a noise which should cause all peaceful men to quail at heart they stop to talk see how the flaxen-haired young gentleman with the weak legs he who has his pocket-handkerchief thrust into the breast of his coat glares upon the faint-hearted civilians who linger to look upon his glory how the next young gentleman elevates his head in the air and majestically places his arms akimbo while the third stands with his legs very wide apart and clasps his hands behind him well may we inquire not in familiar jest but in respectful earnest if you call that nothing 
oh if some encroaching foreign power the emperor of russia for instance or any of those deep fellows could only see those military young gentlemen as they move on together towards the billiard-room over the way wouldn't he tremble a little and then at the theatre at night when the performances are by command of colonel fitz sawdust and the officers of the garrison what a splendid sight it is how sternly the defenders of their country look round the house as if in mute assurance to the audience that they may make themselves comfortable regarding any foreign invasion for they the military young gentlemen are keeping a sharp lookout and are ready for anything and what a contrast between them and that stage-box full of grey-headed officers with tokens of many battles about them who have nothing at all in common with the military young gentlemen, and who, but for an old-fashioned kind of manly dignity in their looks and bearing, might be common hard-working soldiers for anything they take the pains to announce the contrary. Ah, here is a family just come in who recognise the flaxen-headed young gentleman, and the flaxen-headed young gentleman recognises them too, and he doesn't care to show it just now. Very well done indeed. He talks louder to the little group of military young gentlemen who are standing by him, and coughs to induce some ladies in the next box but one to look round, in order that their faces may undergo the same ordeal of criticism to which they have subjected, in not a wholly inaudible tone, the majority of the female portion of the audience. Oh, a gentleman in the same box looks round as if he were disposed to resent this as an impertinence and the flaxen-haired young gentleman sees his friends at once, and hurries away to them with the most charming cordiality. Three young ladies, one young man, and the mamma of the party, receive the military young gentleman with great warmth and politeness, and in five minutes afterwards the military young gentleman, stimulated by the mamma, introduces the two other military young gentlemen with whom he was walking in the morning, who take their seats behind the young ladies and commence conversation, whereat the mamma bestows a triumphant bow upon a rival mamma, who has not succeeded in decoying any military young gentleman, and prepares to consider her visitors from that moment three of the most elegant and superior young gentlemen in the whole world. End of The Military Young Gentleman From Sketches of Young Gentlemen